The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here, uh, back from the Spokane round trip. I am here. This, Tom, email from Fatboy McStuffin, who gave us five stars for the podcast, entitled his review, Bring Back the Fake Chris Walken. Yeah, we could do that one day. We certainly know who the voice of the fake Chris Walken is. He's a very good friend of both of ours. Um, Poor Joe White. We did get him that day, didn't we? Uh, this is what... Uh, I wasn't part of that. I was, I I was on my Wyomania trip when you guys <laughs> pulled that off. I uh, mean, that's, that's, that's legendary. That is legendary. I mean, that's Hall of Fame material right there. I feel like we've, we just did the Christopher Walken, Natalie Wood thing recently on the podcast. Do we need to tell that story again? Maybe. Let me, let me read the uh, email from Fatboy McStuffin. I must be nuts to continue listening to this. I did a brief stop in Baltimore in 2011-2012 and found these guys on the FM dial at lunch one day. Yeah, remember we were on that FM uh, station 92.3 FM, which was kind of a, it was super strong in PG County, Howard County, and up almost into Baltimore. Um, He writes, I've been in upstate New York for over a decade now and still listen to these guys. This despite having no rooting interest in any of the local teams regularly covered. It must be Tom's stories about Southwest Airlines or Kevin's rants about Ratface Snyder that keep me coming back. (laughs) Sheehan, what are you waiting for? Watch The Wire today. Uh, thank you, <laughs> thank you, Fat Boy McStuffin, for one of my favorite intros to a uh, review that we've read in some time. I must be nuts to continue listening to this. Uh, yeah, you know, there was a time that the station we were on nine eighty a.m. We were on a nine this this FM in, in, that really was very strong in Prince George's County, Howard County, even up to Baltimore. By the way, nine eighty was always very strong up into Baltimore, you and I together, um, at one point were, we rated very well in Baltimore, which was crazy, Absolutely, but it was because my son who lives in Baltimore used to have many friends there who would say, your dad's Tom Lavero. 
I, we used to hear that all the time up in Baltimore. Even though we were a DC sports talk show, I know for a fact that there was a time during our seven and a half years together where we were consistently in the the primary demo that that radio you know employers care about, which is for for sports talk, men twenty five to fifty four. That's always the demo that you get rated. You get uh, you know you get. Bonused on not the overall audience size, but men 25 to 54. And there was a stretch there where we were consistently for our day part in the top five of men 25 to 54 in Baltimore. (laughs) Now, we were always there was like, you know, five out of the seven and a half years you and I together were consistently in the top five, if not top three um, in the D.C. market for men 25 to 54 during our midday slot. You know, the middays, I mean, we were, look, you and I both like to think we did a really good show together, but the truth is middays just didn't provide the the same level of competition that morning drive or, or afternoon drive. WTOP, which is the behemoth radio station in, in the market, you know, all news, you know, WTOP, um, is the... I think it is still the biggest revenue-generating radio station in America. It is the number one revenue-generating radio station by far in, in the market. And it gets listened to by more people than any other station uh, in the mornings and in the evenings. Drives in, looking for traffic and weather and the, the news headlines, traffic and weather in particular, and in the afternoon. So we never dealt with that. Because we used to beat a T.O.P. on occasion in the middays. Yes. For men 25 to 54 yes. anyway. But, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's funny. The, the Christopher Walken thing is, simply put, we had, you know, our good friend Mark Stern, who was our producer for many years. Chris, uh, Mark is also, by the way, a stand-up comic. Uh, Mark did a great Christopher Walken uh, we did it as a bit for years where he would uh, be Christopher Walken calling in on Fridays during football season to give his fantasy football picks. And we made it out that Chris was a massive Redskins fan, had been his entire life, and would... would sometimes, all... sometimes he would call in from the Walken Winnebago. He would call in from the Walken Winnebago <laughs> on the way to either FedEx yes. Field or wherever the road game was being played. Um, and it was crazy because Mark was so good at the impersonation that I would say 50% of the people listening bought it hook, line, and sinker that, that, that it was actually Christopher Walken. We heard it all the time. It's amazing yeah. that you guys have Christopher Walken, you know, calling into your show every week. I had no idea he was a big Redskin. And you and I, we would just go along with it. I mean, unless it was somebody really close to us, and then we'd have to say, yeah, it's not real. You know, don't, you know. Um, anyway, long story short, one one of these particular Christopher Walken days, and you weren't there, you were at Wyomania, uh, he goes into this whole thing because there was news about the Natalie Wood passing. Christopher Walken was on, you know, that that boat that day, and there's always been a lot of suspicious stuff that went on with, with her um, disappearance and passing way back in, what, 1973 or something like that? I forget what year it was. Anyway, he just said, uh, I just remember, and uh, I got to get this right. I just remember a lot of, a lot of, 
a lot of laughs, a lot of Zambuka, and then a lot of shouting and screaming or something like that. <laughs> Neil and Rockville would remember specifically what the line was. And, and the next thing we knew, she was gone. And Joe White, uh, one of the really great guys <clears throat> um, who covered the team, Tommy, for decades, right, for the Associated Press? Yeah, he was the Washington, top Washington AP sports writer. Um, Terrific he, guy. Yes, yeah, so he, um, he was listening to the, to the bit, thinking it was a real bit, and he wrote about it or tweeted it out that Christopher Walken just went on ESPN 980 and had uh, some things to say about the Natalie Wood um, uh, uh, you know, uh, situation. 1981, by the way. It was 1981. Here, here's the quote, because all you got to do, people, is Google Christopher Walken, Natalie Wood, and then ESPN 980. The stories that went viral about this were incredible because Joe White wrote about it on the AP, so everybody assumed that he had it right. Um, the Associated Press on Friday quoted... Um, ESPN 980 delivering recollections of actress Natalie Wood's 1981 death. Quote, we had a lot to drink that night. There was Sambuca, there was shouting, and then there was tragedy. That's all I can remember. And quite frankly, all my attorney right now would want me to say. <laughs> Close quote. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, by the way, this was all surrounding, you know, I think I'm going to start Adrian Peterson this week <laughs> on my <laughs> fantasy team, and I'm in my Winnebago, and I'll be in the parking lot in the orange lot at 11 a.m. ready for the 1 o'clock game against the Eagles. You know, so it was all of this just nonsense. But Joe bought it hook, line, and sinker, and the thing went viral and all I remember is Chuck, our pro- program director, saying, what just happened? The phone lines are lighting up. They, w- they want you guys to go on CNN, MSNBC, Fox. <laughs> all of them were, were, were calling in, and we had to tell them it was fake. It's a bit that we do every week. It really was incredible. Like, Google it right now. Just Google that. The stories are yeah. everywhere. November 18th, 2011 is when we did it. Yeah, it was something. And I'm I'm reading about it on my phone, (laughs) you know, 2,000 miles away in Wyoming while this is going on. Yeah. Yeah, it it was, uh, I mean, I'm looking at this, the Hollywood. I would love to get, I would love to get, uh, Christopher Walken on the podcast. I missed that. I missed that time. We can do that. We'll do that soon. We. I'm writing it down right now. Okay, Walken, and oh, by the way, Brian from the DC Podcast Association. We still have to get on. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, yes. But you know, Tommy, as I'm googling this, I mean, everybody reported on this. The Hollywood Reporter's got a big picture of Christopher Walken in a big story titled Natalie Wood Death, Christopher Walken Radio Interview, a hoax. This was, you know, after they figured it out. Um, I mean, CNN, uh, ABC.com, Reuters, uh, everybody had it. It just, it went completely viral, like minutes after it happened. Crazy. 
And there's yep. a, and there's a whole story, you know, Stern ended up doing a bunch of interviews on the whole thing. Like he did interviews with you know, here he is Adweek, um The Blaze, Yahoo. It was it was nuts. <laughs> I mean, it was so crazy. Yes, it was. Uh, don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Five stars is great. It's awesome. And if you can write a quick review like Fat Boy McStuffin did, um, we will, we're much appreciative. And uh, we would like to read them uh, on the air as well. Um, anyway, so uh, how was your trip to Spokane, uh, you know, uh, getting your granddaughter? Well, you know, I mean, these days, and particularly what I went through uh, in April with our trip to uh, Universal Studios, uh, you're always fearful of uh, flying, you know, uh, planes being canceled, flights being canceled. But it went relatively smooth. My flight out there went perfect. The flight back, uh, it looked like when we were in Denver, that we were going to run into a situation because the flight got delayed like a couple, few hours, four or five. Got flight delayed a couple of times, and it kept getting. And I'm thinking, oh, I know what they do. They play this out until it disappears, you know. Yeah. But all of a sudden, <laughs> then it it got moved back up. So we were only delayed like an hour and a half from when we were supposed to leave, which I thought was like a gift. Right. You know. Yeah. And we were supposed to leave at seven o'clock. We left at eight thirty. I was elated. You know that that we did. So I would, uh, I would say my relationship with Southwest is still as strong as it's ever been. <laughs> That's good. Well, they made yeah. some, they made some things right. Um, yes. And w- but but in, yeah. in Spokane, I stayed one night at an airport hotel uh, that I've stayed at before, and uh, apparently it seemed better days. Uh, but uh, I mean, I was in good shape because. You know, I was my plan was to go to the bar to sit down to watch the All Star Game, which which was about to start by the time I got to the hotel. Mm-hmm. So I sit at the bar. I mean, the bar is empty. There's your, a couple people in the restaurant. Was your granddaughter with you at that point? No, no, no. Okay. I don't get her till the next morning. Got it. Okay. So I sit at the bar and uh, I I order a beer and I ask the bartender if he could put on the All Star Game. And he looked at me like I had two heads. And he starts telling me how hard it is to change the channel on the TV. And he's messing with the remote. And uh, he's not really doing anything. And he's whining about having to change the channel. Mm. And I said, I I can't really find it. I said, it's on Fox. I said, it's on Fox. It's a big network. You can find it. And he's messing with the remote. And he's whining some more. And I just flipped out. I just, I went, I overreacted and went ballistic. Okay, what happened? I mean, I just flown like five hours across the country. <laughs> right. And I'm yelling at this guy for being an idiot. And he, nobody should ever leave, let you behind the bar if you can't do something simple as work the TV oh, at your bar. I'm just, I'm flipping out. This was not, uh, was you know? And uh, it, it got to the point where, uh, they had to bring in somebody else to work the remote to did figure you, out how to Did you do ask it. him if, if he could hand the remote to you so you could figure it out? That happens with me every once no. in a while. And I'll be like, no, no, no. no I'll I let, just, I hand thought me was, the remote and I'll figure it out. You go, you, you do your job and tend to the customers here at the bar. 
Well, there were no other customers but me. I thought it was unprofessional <laughs> yeah. and aggravating. I mean, for a bartender, I have certain expectations. Look, I've spent a, f- a few years in a bar here and there, mm-hmm. and I have certain expectations of a bartender. And being able to put on the sporting event that you want to watch is one of them. Okay? Yeah. And I just flipped, and uh, I'm yelling at this guy. And uh, when things calm down... He wouldn't serve me then. Really? I got served, but he wouldn't serve me. A waitress came and served me. So who I took care of so, very, very nicely okay. on the other end. I, I want to know exactly. So I stayed there. I stayed there for three and a half hours drinking at the bar while this bartender, who I had reamed out and wouldn't serve me, was working behind the bar. The whole time. So it's, you know, it's late afternoon when you are sitting down there, right? Because it's West yeah, Coast it's time. Yeah, like five and, o'clock. Yeah, and, uh, okay, early evening. And this guy may have, you know, been on for a little while, but he's probably working until it closes, you know, which I'm going to guess is probably about nine at the airport, something yeah. like that. Yes. So yes. you've caught him. You know, his shift probably isn't ending. Did you have, in your initial confrontation, and by the way, I completely agree with you, and I've been in those situations before. It's like, are you serious? I'm the customer here. Like, I, I understand you're busy, It's a, and, and the remote's hard, and you got it on the station you want. Was he watching? Was, you know, well, you were the only person at the bar. Whenever I ask someone at a bar, which, by the way, I've been to a few of them as well, when, whenever I want the station changed, I'll always ask the bartender and even people at the bars, anybody watching what's on here? Right? I mean, you're not going to just come in and say, switch right. it to this one when people are sitting there watching there. Absolutely. Yeah, and so... Um, you know, that, that's one thing, but many times I find it's weird because bartenders are the ones typically, unless it's like the manager or they've got some, somebody in the restaurant that's really good at handling, you know, oh, they they want the, uh, they want the Nats game. Yeah. That's on, uh, that's on Masson, um, you know, Masson one, I'll get it. It's 844 on our whatever. Sometimes the bartenders don't. But I have several times said, I know where it is. Give me the remote. Is this DirecTV or what is it? And then I'll be able to find it. And you, you keep working. But this guy, it sounds like, had a toed right from the beginning. Like he wasn't, yes. you know, it was he too He was pissed I was bothering him. Right. Yeah. And, and, oh, and it's just the whining and tell me how he couldn't do it. I he, just didn't want to hear that. He, you he, know? He, right. I, 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 I I didn't want to hear that, and I just went ballistic on the guy. So how did the ballistic part start? Well, the, 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 when, the second time, you know, when I said it's on Fox, and he's fumbling with the remote, <laughs> and he says, you know, I can't really find it now. Uh, and when he said, I can't really find it now, I just said, this is, I screamed, I said, this is bullshit. You're the bartender. You can't tell me. You can't put on the sporting event I want to watch. I mean, what are you, some kind of, I call him a moron. Oh, God. That was the the first part of it, moron? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I flipped out. I'm telling you. You know, I'm surprised he didn't come over to the bar after me. Was he capable of coming over to the bar at you? No. Oh, absolutely not. So that made it, (laughs) that that empowered you uh, and your anger even more, I'm sure. Like, you looked at this guy and said he's not really a threat? I don't think that made a difference at that point. I was was seeing red. Okay. You know? And you didn't didn't try to work through it a little bit. I might have backed off if if it was somebody formidable. But at that moment, 
I didn't care if it was Joe Jacoby back there. I was pissed off, you know? So, uh, so they brought in somebody who worked the remote. Who brought in? Somebody he did. Who he, called, hotel. he called somebody, right? No, the waitress called somebody because this guy wouldn't have anything to do with me anymore. So he went and got the waitress. And he, he, yeah, the, the waitress came over, and I explained to her what was happening, and she got somebody to come in and, and find the game. You know, and I was a happy to... camper. Did he even try? The to, next did he hours. even try with the remote to switch? Did he switch the channels around at all? Did he search no, at he, all? So he had to. No, he couldn't even figure out how to search. He said, "Oh my God!" Well, he was. A I said, total "It's, it's dope. on Fox." I said, "It's probably at the lower end of <laughs> your cable system here, like probably the first ten or twelve channels somewhere." You know, it's a big network. I said, uh, "May have heard and of it." I just, yeah, so I, I just flipped out, and then I watched the game, and I enjoyed the game. And but uh, now, did you how how did you handle the tip at the end of the night? Oh, I I gave the wage. Look, I'm a pretty generous tipper. If you, I think you deserve it, and I'm not going to say how much I tip, but it was more than what most people would think would be a good tip. Well, tell me what you tipped. What was your, what, what percent tip okay, did you I give? Okay, I 30%. Yeah, okay, that's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. When you're sitting that's there for three, when you're sitting there for three and a half hours and you end up, you know, having somebody that's doing a great job, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely in kind of the, I mean, you're at a higher level than I am, you know, especially with the friends that you keep, but <laughs> I, um, but no, no, that's, 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 uh, that's more than, uh, acceptable. Um, I think I've told you this before, you know, I've been to Spokane twice, I think. Rosar's is a supermarket chain in Spokane. Um, there for years, I don't know where they are now in market share. And for all I know, you know, they were bought by somebody. I don't think it's there anymore. I don't. I don't recall seeing it. Okay, maybe Albertsons bought them, or some big, you know, West Coast chain um, bought them. But it was George's Ro- is a big one out there. It was Rosar's uh, supermarkets, and okay. I went out there for two different meetings with them. And the reason I remember these meetings specifically is the first time I went to Spokane. I got in late the night before my meeting the next morning, and there was a blinding snowstorm that we flew in and landed during. And I'll never forget that it, because to this day, not you know, other than heavy rains and thunderstorms and all that stuff, on a flight, I've you know, I've been on a flight where I've landed and it's been snowing. But this was a blinding snowstorm where the runway was not plowed. And so we landed, and snow just is flying up and engulfing the plane. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh my God, how to. And and it was a smooth landing. There was nothing wrong with the landing. In fact, there really wasn't any issue approaching other than. You know, the uh, probably the pilot saying something like, "There's some snow in Spokane. Uh, they're expecting a lot of it, and uh, could be a little bumpy uh, on the descent. Um, but uh, you know, strap in will be good." Uh, and then, but but I'll never forget that landing. And then, I I don't know the name. I can't remember the hotel, but it was a downtown hotel. And you know how much I love snow. I opened up those windows, 
and I just watched it snow for much of the night because it was a blinding snowstorm. They ended up with a foot. And, of course, then I'm thinking, well, my meeting's not going to happen the next day. But it did. Those people were there, and I got there too, but they had a, they had a foot plus of snow um, that night. Um, and Spokane, for those of you that don't know the state of Washington, Tommy will tell you this, is in the far eastern part of the state where Seattle is in the far western part of the state. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Idaho is just a stone's throw away from Spokane. Right. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's start with soda. So everything else went, everything else went oh, yeah. good. Did, and and yeah. was, she, was she happy to see you and spend time with you on a long flight and looking forward to spending time with everybody here over the next uh, few days? You know what? She was a very good flying partner. Good. Good. Did yeah. you tell her the story about what happened at the bar? No. <laughs> no, I did not. She doesn't she doesn't need to know that her grandfather is a raving lunatic, <laughs> although she's probably figured it out. All right. So um we've had a couple of days here since we've talked about Juan Soto, uh, and you've written about it, and your position very, very absolutely is trade him. Uh and that that's your position because you know, essentially, you can describe why you think they should trade him because I don't think he's signable. I don't. I, I think pretty much, unless you give them a ridiculous pie in the sky offer, and even then, uh, I, I think that Scott Boris is determined to take him to free agency. That uh, he's not signable. He's not signable for the Nationals. He's not signable for the team. He's going to be traded to. Uh, unless it's a Steve Cohen outlier situation, uh, I mean, you know, you can't predict uh, what that guy, who has no qualms about spending his own money, will, will do. Uh, but uh, and, and you know, I, I, I I've seen that uh, John Morosi from Fox is reporting that, like I've said, I think there's a real good chance he gets traded before the trading deadline, like now. Yeah, that seems to be kind of the lean from everybody covering the sport. Uh, by the way, I had Tim Kirchin um, on the podcast uh, two days ago. He was so good, um, uh, you know, and his sense is that he's going to be traded uh, as well, that there's just no working it out. And I don't know that I asked you this question the other day, but I'll ask it because I asked him this. You know, what does it say – if Juan Soto gets traded, let's just say you're right, he gets traded and he gets traded now. I mean, what a shocker, right? I mean, a week ago, if I had said to you, hey, they're going to trade Juan Soto before the trade deadline this summer, you would have said, you're insane. You don't know what you're talking about. This is how quickly things change. But what does it say, Tommy, about Washington that they've had two in the last 10 years, two of the all-time position player talents, generational talents, and neither one of them ended up staying. Well, it speaks to the lack of vision uh, and commitment in some ways by by the owners, the learners. Uh, In order to get a talent like Juan Soto, you've got to recognize it in maybe the second year tops that this guy is special and you want to do everything you can to keep him. Not in the fifth year, you know, not in the fourth year. Uh, you got to recognize that before the train has left the station, 
sort of like I think the Braves have done with with Acuna, who I think it's you know signed for like six years or something like that. Rizzo Rizzo uh, knew he was special. Yeah, but Rizzo is not the owner. He doesn't. It's not his money. Okay, it, it's not his money. It's the learner's money, and I mean for this. To, for them to offer him this now, it's progress for this team because they waited for Harper until and, and again with Harper it may it may not have mattered what they offered him. He was going to be go to free agency as well. Okay, Boris was going to do it. You know that and and it, 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 I think it's the same thing with Soto. Uh, but uh, you got to catch this early uh, for something like this. You got you got to be able to get lucky and say, wow, you know. We want this guy here beyond his arbitration years, so let's give him a 10-year deal, which will at least give four years beyond arbitration. We'll still give him a chance to become a free agent if he wants to in the middle of the, of the, of, of the peak of his career, but we'll have him for 10 years instead of six. You probably you know, couldn't have uh, done gotta, that with Harper, right? The, the, the hype around Harper not. from day one was different than it was for Soto. Yeah, I mean, Juan Soto was an un, undrafted free agent out of out of the Dominican Republic, and the first time we really saw him was in a spring training game for the Nationals a year before he wound up getting called up. Bryce Harper was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16 years old. Yeah, everybody knew about Bryce Harper; it was no secret. Uh, I think. Um... Well, I think that's true. I mean, you know, one of the things, not that it's anywhere near apples to apples, I'm not suggesting that because one is, you know, the best player, best hitter in in baseball and was an extremely talented player to begin with. But you as an organization in these sports where there is free agency, you have to have some vision when you have a player that you know better than anybody else and maybe everybody else doesn't know. And maybe even they're not sure about what they're going to be when they get to free agency. And in football, you know, with the Redskins, it's one of the things I said from the beginning. You have to have vision on a guy like Kirk Cousins. You may not think he's going to turn into Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady. Nobody does. But you haven't had a legitimate top half, top 12-ish kind of starting quarterback in your franchise forever. And now you've got a guy who's coming off a good season and a playoff season, and there's still some question marks. You've got to have the vision to say, I need him locked up, and we're going to go market value, not low ball. We're going to go maybe market value or a little bit above so that he'll take the deal. And then, you know, but they, they didn't have that kind of, of vision. And yeah. in this case, I think Rizzo did have the, the vision because I remember Juan Soto when they lost, uh, when uh, uh, Mike Rizzo, when they lost Harper, him saying kind of in many ways, it's okay. We've got Juan Soto, you know? Yeah. So he yeah. always knew. You know, have you yeah, walked outside he, today? He, it, I know it's hot, right? It's brutal. I have today. not walked outside. Okay. It's brutal. And the one thing that I think this Soto thing also suggests to me, I just think that some I, – I, I think we live here. Um, we think it's a great place to live. We think it's a great place to raise a family, you know, when you get to a certain age. There's a lot about my hometown and the city in which I live that, you know, I think 
you know, basically one-ups a lot of places, most places. But for young 23-year-olds and 24-year-olds, you know, you walk out on a day like today where it's 97 and the oppressive humidity, and it's not such a great place to be in the summertime when you have a lot of money. It'd be much better to be in Los Angeles, be a lot better to be in Chicago. Now, it, or Boston. Oh, I don't know about Chicago. Well, not Chicago. Chicago gets pretty hot, too. Not like here, not in terms of humidity. And, and, and uh, you know, this is a kid from the Dominican Republic. I'm thinking the heat is not going to bother him. It's not just the weather. It's just, it's the, I know. you know, it's not L.A. or New York. I just think, I think he, I think the organization, I think he had a good relationship with people in the organization. Remember, there was this story last year. And I can't explain how this all happens, where the Nationals have set in place a deal for when his younger brother, Ilian uh, Soto, right. uh, is eligible to be signed as a 16-year-old or uh, out of the Dominican. They're going to sign him as a free agent as well. So they have a deal in place, it was reported last year, to sign his younger brother. So, I mean, that would indicate... That uh, Juan Soto must have must have liked this organization, must have liked the people in the organization, or else he wouldn't have probably encouraged his brother to make such a commitment uh, at this point. I don't know how good his brother is, even. Okay, I don't know anything about him other than that. Although I think that was his brother who was with him at the home run derby, right. uh, wearing a Soto, Soto jersey. jersey. That's what. Right, I'm assuming that was his younger brother because that would be about the age, mm-hmm. you know, about 15 or so. Uh, so I think Soto liked the people in the organization, like Mike Rizzo, like the other people in the organization. But he's Ted Williams, and if Scott Boris had Ted Williams, he's gonna t- he's gonna take him to free agency because even if the even if the Nationals give him uh, a deal that is just an offer that you can't refuse, you know, uh, you put him in a bidding war, and that offer gets beat. Right now, you only have one bidder if you're Scott Boris. You want a lot of bidders. I understand that part. So whatever seems attractive now could be diminished by the time he's a free agent. Yeah, but you just said something that, that Tim said the other day. He's Ted Williams. I mean, how do you trade Ted Williams? You've got two and a half years left of Ted Williams. You know, it's funny. The Yankees talked about trading Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams. That never (laughs) happened. But you're not going to get Joe DiMaggio if you trade Juan Soto. It's, it's, it is, it's, it's difficult. It stinks. Uh, But if I'm buying the Nationals, and I'm an informed uh, prospective buyer. I know that no matter how much bravado I walk in that door and say, I'm going to sign this guy, that that's probably not going to happen. And then I'm going to have to be the owner, the new owner, who watches Juan Soto leave town. No thank you. I'll take a team with a low payroll filled with young, promising talent, and then I'll build it. Yeah, but the chances that that, you know, 
promising young talent in the aggregate is going to exceed what Juan Soto is isn't very high. Well, exceed Juan Soto. They finished. This will be their third year in last place with Juan Soto. I understand that. I do. I, I understand. But uh, I mean, the idea they, is to win as a team, right? I I don't know. I I don't know what the right answer is. I don't want to see him go. He's a terrific young man. He's making a lot of dumb pol- public relation mistakes right now under the influence of, of you know, the evil one, Boris. But, uh, but he's a terrific young man with a good heart and really good intentions. And he has laser-type focus, Kevin. He can block all this out and perform. I mean, tremendous focus. I get it. I guess I don't have, you know, a really strong opinion because I'm not really sure what they could get back from the Padres or the Yankees or the Phillies or the Mets. I wouldn't trade them in the division, I don't think. But I guess if I had a stronger sense as to what was coming back and the potential of that, it would be easier to make um, to have an opinion. I just hear you and I hear Tim Kirchin and I hear everybody say, Ted Williams, and I still have Ted Williams under contract for two and a half years. I don't know. Uh, Tim said to me the other day, when I asked him this, he said, at some point down the road, Juan Soto and Bryce Harper are both going to be Hall of Fame players, and this organization would have lost both of them along the way. And that's that's really going to be tough to deal with, especially if the results from them leaving – um, and I know they won the World Series the year after Bryce Harper left. We understand that. But, like, after this one, if they go years and years and they're not a contender for a while, and you have suggested to me, you know, that they could contend next year and in two years they're, they're really going to contend, well, you feel differently about that after he gets traded, right? It depends. Hmm. It really depends. Why can't you turn around and put together a free agency team with some of these young talent? That you've got. Okay. Look, Kevin. Here's the, here's the one caveat. They don't have to trade him. Right. Okay. If they don't get the deal that they really want, if they don't get what they're looking for, then they can keep him, and we'll see what happens in the winter. Right. And okay. So I, I agree. I mean, we don't know what the deal is would be, but I would say you don't trade him unless you get a deal that you can live with. Yeah, and there's always the thing where you're like, okay, well, like let's let's ride this out. No one's going to be able to sign him. Everybody's going to have the risk. I understand, by the way, and, and this is you know obvious that if you trade him now, the value is the highest because somebody, if they're a contender, is going to have him for three postseasons rather than you know trading him after the season's right. over and it's due or in two years and you know they only have him for one year. Anyway, all right. I wanted to get to what you kind of alluded to, which is the terrible public relations job that Scott Boris is involved in. Um, I saw what you tweeted out about. And I talked about this yesterday. The Nats, you know, Scott Boris took a shot at the Nats for not chartering a flight for Juan Soto to fly out on. Um, and you tweeted out that this is collectively bargain that the MLB pays for for three first class round trip tickets for player and two guests. They can also get reimbursed for a private jet at a rate of six round trip first class tickets. So go ahead. What 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 have they mishandled? Well, I mean, this is Boris at his worst. Disingenuous, even outright, you know, 
manipulation and lies. Uh, he points out that Atlanta had had flown uh, a private jet like five hours earlier, and you know there was a story about Houston offering a seat on their plane to the Oakland pitcher on their private jet. Well, the reason those two teams, the only teams that we know of to use private jets, was because they were flying their coaching and managers out there uh, because they were going to manage the games. You know, Dusty Baker and his staff for the American League and uh, Brian Snitaker and his staff for the National League. So that's why they, they, they use private You didn't hear about the Yankees flying Aaron Judge out there uh, on, on a private jet. Well, how did Aaron Judge uh, get out there? He's a free agent. How I'm did... sure he flew like almost every, all those guys did. Either they decided to fly on their own on a private jet, or else they flew uh, commercial, the horrors of, of a commercial flight. You know? I mean, so this is absurd. This is collectively bargained, okay, uh, where, where the union and the, and the baseball agreed that this is how travel to, to the All-Star game would be handled. The baseball gives three first-class round-trip tickets to a player for himself and two uh, guests to fly back and forth first-class to, uh, to the All-Star game. If they want to get a private jet, baseball would be willing to put up the six the equivalent, the price equivalent of six first-class round-trip tickets to reimburse that. Okay, but this is not something that like like the Nationals should have expected to do. Or I'm not sure they're even allowed to at this point because it's a collective bargaining uh, deal. No other teams did this except the two teams that had that flew, flew their coaching and managing staff out there for the game. So it was really disingenuous. For, for Boris to kind of suggest that the Nationals did something wrong by not catering to, uh, to uh, you know, to Juan Soto by flying him out there on, on a private jet. It's, it's simply wrong. And, it, it, again, it shows, it, shows, it shows what Boris is like. And, and, again, Scott, you know, Juan Soto right now is clearly in the Scott Boris camp. He believes in his guy. So, at this point, Juan Soto's playing for Scott Boris. Okay, and this is what you get when when you play for Scott Boris. You get you get moves like this. But uh, you know, I mean, he's he, but he's the best. He gets his clients the best value, and uh, I mean, it's funny because he, he's taking a shot at the learners here by doing this. You know, he he squeezed the learners dry. The, lear, the learners were his best friends for years. He was like a family member. Of the learners, when Bryce Harper got married, the Lerner family sat with Scott Boris at his wedding reception. Okay, uh, so and now he doesn't need them anymore. They're selling the team, so they they don't exist to him anymore. So let's dump on them. That's Boris to a T. Well, I mean, obviously he was upset about the leaking of the offer that Juan Soto turned down, even though, as we discussed the other day, in many ways, you know, I don't know what the Nats were thinking. I think the timing of it was bad with the All-Star game coming up. It was the center of attention. And, you know, we're not living 30 years ago where people don't understand contracts. Everybody can do the AAV math. But with respect to this travel story, 
Um, that is bullshit. I mean, it, it, what you described. I mean, what what a low rent. Um, you know, yeah. uh, accusation that is, you know, isn't even based on on anything that's true. And I, I mentioned yesterday, Tommy, that in addition to, to you know, Boris, you know, make you know, in, in the moment thinking that, you know, he had made the Nats look bad. I also said he made himself look bad. Juan Soto's his big, you know, right now his biggest potential client, maybe of all time in terms of the commission. And why didn't he fly him out there privately? You know, I mean, it, he, it, didn't, Absolutely. it didn't seem to occur to him as people now, were. Apparently, uh, apparently Boris says he's not allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the same situation as the Nationals may be in. Okay, why would Boris so not be able to funny. do that with a client? That doesn't make some, any sense. I don't know. Some kind. Of, I don't know. This is what he said. I saw something on social media where he said he wouldn't be able to do that. It, it's uh, one so thing if you're know, an agent. But, if you're if you're an agent after a prospective client, but he's already signed. He's one of Boris's clients. That doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, he might be lying about that too. Yeah, that, that and let's act- talk about let's talk about the uh, the leak for a moment. Buster only tweeted this out after talking to uh, a bunch of uh, people in baseball. And let me tell you something about Buster Only. I've said this before. He's probably he, I'm sure he's still among the hardest working guys in this business. I used to compete with Buster when he covered the Baltimore Orioles and I covered the the Orioles for the Washington Times. And Buster used to make 40 phone calls a day before he got to the ballpark, to agents, to front office executives, to anyone who would pick up the phone. 40 calls a day before he got to work. So, I mean, he's got tremendous sources, and those sources pointed out the leak benefits Boris and Soto as well because it establishes establishes a base price out there now for the Juan Soto sweepstakes, $440 million. Okay, we're only $60 million away from $500 million, and he's still two and a half years before he's a free agent. So what that, it serves Boris's purpose as well because it establishes a price out there. He did the same thing with Harper. Uh, yeah, but what are you, you know, suggesting? That that the well. Nat, are you suggesting the Nats weren't the source of the leak to Rosenthal? I'm just saying, I, I don't know. They probably are. But the but the story out there serves both sides, okay? It says that it makes the Nats say, "Look, we did our best to sign this guy. He doesn't want to play here. It helps Boris because now there's a there's a dollar yeah, no, I, figure I, attached yeah. to him." I get that, and and even the other day, I, I think I said to you, uh, if the Nats did this with the intention of trying to make their fan base think, "Hey, look, we tried really hard," I'm not so sure it totally worked that way. Um, because everybody did the, the simple, you know, AAV math and they're like, it's barely yeah. even top 20. What are you talking about? Um, how many courthouses does Buster Olney go to a day before he's, you know, before he goes to a game? <laughs> uh, he didn't have anything on you. Um, all right. So what else on Soto? We've got some football to get to. Uh, that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame all the way around that the game has this way. And I pointed this out to somebody on social media that says, you know, this is, this is the kind of stuff that's destroyed the game. Save for a 13, 14, 15-year window from the mid-60s to the late 70s, 
This is the way baseball has always been. In 1965, baseball had the first amateur draft where, you know, the richest teams could not buy the best players. You know, they came up with this system, this amateur draft. And from pretty much 65 through 79 or 80, you know, or 77, let's say, uh, when free agency kind of began, you had uh, teams that wouldn't normally compete be able to compete because they were able to build up. The Orioles are a perfect example of that. The Orioles' glory years are from 66 to 83. It's no coincidence that their glory years started when the player draft started. Right. In other words, where everybody had a ch- where even the, 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 the low market teams, small market teams, had a chance to draft good young talent. And free agency has kind of changed all that. You know, free agency changed that. But for, for before there was an amateur draft, the Yankees bought all the hot, good players. I mean, and there were teams that didn't compete, like the Senators, right. for years. Right. So this is the way baseball has pretty much always been, save for a generation that grew up watching the Kansas City Royals and the Milwaukee Brewers in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. And thinking that's the way... You know, it is. We had the I seventy series between the Cardinals and, and the uh, and the Royals in nineteen eighty five. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't that, 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 wasn't, that was certainly wasn't a subway series. No, the Royals benefited from being able to develop young talent that they drafted. They're the Kansas City. The Kansas City Athletics used to act like a farm club for the Yankees. They would get their young talent and then sell it to the Yankees. So there's this fallacy that. That somehow baseball, you know, it, this is something new. This is the way the game has been for since 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 it became the national pastime. It's always, I mean, the I mean, the, the Red Sox had to sell Babe Ruth. Now that was because their owner lost money on a on a Broadway show. But still, this goes back a long way. This kind of sad transaction like this. George Brett and, and the Pine Tar probably helped the Royals too. Um, God, I remember those great <laughs> series between the Royals and the Yankees. They were great. Oh yeah, they were great, and that was a great team, the Royals. And, had. I, and, and you mentioned the Brewers. I remember the end of that seventy, uh, maybe the eighty season or the eighty-two season. Actually, I think it was the eighty-two season because the Orioles won won the World Series in eighty-three. Yes, uh, the end of the eighty-two the season. season. The 82 season, they played the Brewers in a four-game set final weekend of the year. And if they swept the Brewers, they would win the American League East. They would, the Brewers were in the American League East. Um, and they yeah. won the first three. And it came down to one game, and the Brewers actually did win that final game, and they went on to the postseason. Uh, and I think that game was Don Sutton versus Jim Palmer. It was. And I, the Brewers. And the Brewers. Destroyed the, the Orioles. They, I mean, it was, wasn't even close. I'm, I I don't know about Don Sutton, but I think you're 100 percent right. It was Jim Palmer. Um, you know that was yeah. the one stretch for me where I was into the Orioles, but again, like many of my friends who uh, really got after it and became Orioles fans and are still Orioles fans to this day, um, I never quite did the same thing. I always wanted. 
our own team. Uh, real quickly, um, uh, we yesterday we, we, I talked about this um, and had Andy on to talk about it, and I'd done it on radio, and so many people, so many of you tweeted in various answers, but I, Tommy suggested that if Kevin Durant actually got traded here, um, and there was a report the other day which prompted the conversation, it would be the biggest trade of a player, an acquisition free agent, drafted player, trade for a player, of you know certainly this century and maybe of all time in this town somebody did call in actually our good friend Robert in Annapolis called in and said actually the all-time get was Lombardi which he's right I mean you know getting Lombardi out of retirement to coach the Redskins is the all-time you know under that heading of acquisition whether it's you know higher draft free agency or trade but uh several of you said she and flip it around. Would there be a trade that any team in this town made a trading a trading a player out of town rather than acquiring a player that would equal what might happen in the next couple of weeks with Soto? Uh, the answer is probably not. Um, probably not. No. All right. Uh, let's get to some football next. Right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I did want to start this segment with some information that I got uh, yesterday. Um, yesterday, uh, I reminded everybody, Tommy, was the only day uh, of the calendar where there are no games. I think there, you know, there's been an occasional day here and there where there have been no basketball, football, baseball, or hockey games. I'm talking about the four major professional sports. But yesterday is that uh, you know slowest day on the sports calendar, the day following the all-star game. But I ended up having a couple of conversations, um, one of which prompted then another call to sort of confirm this. And I just wanted to mention this because I think it's interesting. We all thought that the stadium funding conversation was basically headed towards, you know, nothing. 
that you know DC was a nothing, Maryland was a nothing other than the four hundred million in infrastructure, which was uh, it's already going to happen. You know, in the Landover, North Englewood, uh, and Summerfield area of, of Prince George's <laughs> County, um, and that Virginia, you know, was debating it up there until the end, but it was heading in the direction of it wasn't going to get voted on. Certainly in this particular session. I was told that on that June 8th, when Jack Del Rio, um, as part of that press conference during, you know, minicamp, was it, or one of the OTA sessions, uh, referred to January 6th as a dust-up, that literally um, members of the organization were meeting with some of the Democratic state uh, state senators about Virginia uh, and a commitment to the team of some level uh, for a new stadium, uh, whether it be in Dumfries, Springfield, or Loudoun County. And that literally they got word of what Jack Del Rio had said and said, that's it, this is a wrap, we're done. Um, we knew in the moment, I mean, this isn't like a big reveal, we knew that Jack Del Rio had done something really dumb for the business of the team. But I suggested at the time, I forget if you agreed or disagreed, that I think it was headed in the direction of them not getting anything from Virginia anyway. Um, but still, that, you know, put all the politics aside, the judgment from Jack Del Rio was horrible. Like, you know, what was he thinking? You know, and and by the way, why didn't the team at some point Look at what what he was doing on social media and say, you're not helping us. It doesn't matter what you believe. Yes. It doesn't matter if yes. we agree with you or not. This is terrible for the business of our of our organization. And so I was told, and then I backed it up with, a, with another call, that literally the team was in a meeting with Virginia people about Virginia wow. and the stadium when they got word of Jack Del Rio's press conference that afternoon, and they said, that's it, we're done. See ya. And that, you know, it was two days later that Rivera fined him $100,000. The organization yeah. was not happy with, with Jack. Whether there are people in the organization that share political beliefs with him or don't, he effed them. Uh, now, what was Virginia yeah. going to come up with? I have no idea. But it was still alive or it was still on life support. And with that comment, they pulled the plug completely. This was my whole point about that it damaged the business of the organization. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, it had nothing to do with what you think about his First Amendment rights, whatever your bizarre notion is of the First Amendment at this point. It, it, it damaged the business of the team. Right. And again, the business of the team, it, Jason Wright is in charge of the business of the team. I mean, yeah, people say, <laughs> well, well, you know, Ron Rivera is, is, is over... Jack Del Rio, like you said early on, you had to you, you didn't have to be very smart to figure out that Jack Del Rio was a loose cannon on social media, and that he needed to have a conversation to explain to him, look, you're going to hurt the business of this team. You know, just keep your thoughts to yourself. No, I've said this to you before that. Okay, with respect to this, and we were talking about something else when it came to Rivera, but. This would have been one of those where the owner or the co-owner should have gotten Ron and Jason and Jack and Scott, no, the whole organization into that big-ass conference room that they have out there and, you know, had a podium 
and said, look, we are not right now doing very well. You know, we're happy with the progress that we've made uh, with the football team and the job Ron's doing with his staff and the players, and we're optimistic. And we are really pleased with some of the hires that we've made and the the transformation of our business. And by the way, we've got this Vestry Light Auditing Company from an HR standpoint giving us high marks. These are all good things. We need this momentum to continue. This meeting is to tell everybody – that what you say outside of you know being you know asked a football question or a question about ticketing or marketing what you say about your political beliefs or your religious beliefs or anything you better think twice because we're not like the other 31 teams we're different right now we are under a microscope, and we need everybody to like us. We don't need half of the people to like us and half of the people to hate us. We need everybody to actually like us. We're in the business now of being customer-friendly because we've been <laughs> the opposite of that. I don't know if they'd ever have any self-awareness to understand that. I know Jason Wright understood that when he got into the organization. He was like, these people are arrogant as hell. I'm sure he looked around and said, we got to get rid of, you know, three quarters of the people here. They're, they're trying to sell the, 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 the 1980, you know, 1991 skins. That's not who we are. But, yeah, to your point, real leadership would have, you know, stopped Jack Del Rio a long time ago and said, I don't care what you believe. And if you want to be if you want to become an activist, go do it. You have the right to do that, but you can't do it here because it will hurt our business. And this has nothing to do with what you're writing or what you're saying. It has to do with the impact of your words on our business. We're different from everybody else. We can't overcome a dust up on January 6th. Anyway, I wanted to mention that. Here's the other thing real quickly. Um, so Booger McFarlane on ESPN yesterday said about Chase Young, and the reason he said this is that the Madden 23 Tommy player ratings are you know coming out one day at a time. And the other day, and we talked about this on the podcast, Terry McLaurin was tied for eighth on the receiver ratings, which was really good. Um, Chase Young was 27th on edge rushers. Uh, 27th out of the edge rushers in the NFL is his is where his Madden rating ranked. And they were talking about Madden ratings on ESPN yesterday, and Booger McFarland said the following. He said about uh, Chase Young, uh, this is way too low. They're missing out on one of the real talents in the game And he went on to predict that Chase Young, if he's healthy and plays 17 games, is going to get 20 sacks, and he's he's going to approach 20 sacks, and he's going to approach the forced fumble record in 2022. Now, the 17 games, you know, that's optimistic because that's going to be the biggest story of training camp, or certainly one of them. Will Chase Young be ready for the opener, or is he going to start the season on the pup list? As somebody um, who we both know well texted me this morning when I when we talked about what Booger, McFar- Booger McFarland said, he said Booger should lay off the cognac. Um, that's fine, but he's really optimistic about what Chase Young can become. Let me just say this: 
if Chase Young had 20 sacks in the forced fumble record, which, by the way, is 10, that's the all-time. It's, it's shared by three players, um, Mathis, uh, Charles Tillman, and Yuman Yura have the single-season record with 10 forced fumbles. If he were to force 10-plus fumbles and have 20 sacks, they're going to win 11 games. That's how much of an imp- impact it would have on their win total. Yeah, it would. That, kind, that amount of turnovers, yes. Now, that's forced fumbles. It doesn't mean they all end up being recovered by Washington. But, know. So, you know, say they recover more than half of them. The 20 sacks alone would create interceptions and turnovers that he might not even force other than through his pressure. Uh, if that were to happen, great. But I, the reason I bring it up is because I, too, am very optimistic about Chase Young this year. I... I don't know about his health. I mean, this assumes that he's healthy enough and he's back to 100% and he plays the you know the significant majority of games. You know, he's going to play 14-plus games. I hope it's 17. I just am convinced that what I watched his rookie year, even though, you know, I acknowledge, as we've discussed many times, it was against a lot of backup quarterbacks and even some third-string quarterbacks there at the end. But that defensive rookie of the year campaign was really impressive. I know what I saw in college. I saw a guy that I thought coming out, um, which is why I rooted for them so hard to lose to the Giants, and I said before that game, you beat the Giants and you're going to be facing LT for the next 10 years. You lose to the Giants in this game and you are going to have somebody like LT on your team for the next 10 years. And I, that's an exaggeration, but the, ki- the kind of talent, he was considered a generational kind of pass-rushing talent. And that's what I saw as a football fan. So I wanted him. So I want to be right about that, number one. But I do believe that last year, I hope, was a wake-up call for him. You know, the not adhering to the scheme, the criticism that he faced from coaches, maybe even from some other teammates. You know, if he's got any self-awareness about last year at all and recognizes that beyond the injury, he didn't play like Chase Young can play, I think he's going to come back and he's going to have a big year. I am optimistic about Chase Young, assuming the health is there and that the injury didn't take something from him, which ACLs don't typically do in this day and age. Okay. First of all, he needs to get a real name. I mean, grown men are not called Booger. Okay. okay? I thought you were about That's to say fraternal- Chase. <laughs> no, that's a fraternity nickname. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Booger McFarland. Second, this is the guy who sang the praises of what Bruce, Bruce Allen, Allen did yeah. here right. at, 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 at Ghost Town Field <laughs> when they were doing a Monday night game there. And he talked about the great atmosphere that Bruce Allen had brought to the organization in a stadium that was half filled. And of those half, most of them were, half of them were the visiting team. So I, this guy's judgment is extremely questionable. Uh, the other thing is, I expect Chase Young to be better than he was last, last year. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I mean, if, if he has 10 sacks, that's an improvement on his rookie year. Okay? If he has double-digit sacks. So, I mean, I think it's possible for him to, to be better. But I think it's absurd to to put out that kind of, I mean that 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 damages you have no credibility except for the the uh, commanders focus group 
when you say something like that. <laughs> you like you like focus group. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, yeah, um, Anthony Booger McFarland um, uh, maybe you know is a little bit off when it comes to Washington. Right when you started uh, to, to, to to mention that, I remember. I remember that Monday night game. I think they were playing the yeah. Bears. You know, and Mitch Trubisky lit him up, and he was talking about you know how, how much Bruce Allen had done for the organization. Um, of course, he played for the Buccaneers when Bruce Allen yeah. was there, so yeah. there was a yeah. relationship there with uh, with Bruce Allen. Um, I don't know; it's a long way of getting to. I am actually optimistic about two things. I'm optimistic that offensively they're going to be much improved, which isn't uh, you know that much of of a reach. But I actually think they could really be a decent offense, and the offense could carry them. And I also believe that if Chase Young is a hundred percent, he's going to have a big time bounce back year. He's just too talented and too competitive for that not to happen. I, I would bet on him. I, I've said this before. It's a pressure year for him, Tommy. The, it's it's kind of crazy that year three is pressure on Chase Young to perform at the level that he performed at as a rookie to live up to that number two overall pick after last year. You know, missing half the year with the injury is not you know is is not going to get blamed on him. But the one and a half sacks through the first eight and a half games. Uh, is, you know, you can't have that kind of a season. You better have a bounce-back season. And he may have some reasons why he's not going to be as good this year as he was as a rookie, and they might be because he hasn't had any time to get ready for this season. No offseason, injury, coming back from it, maybe starting training camp on the pup list, maybe starting the regular season on the pup list. But there's still some pressure on him when he gets out there to look like the Chase Young that everybody thought we were getting with the number two overall pick, which is what we saw his rookie season. And, you know, again, uh, he has a guy on the other side uh, who there's high expectations for as well. Right. Montez Sweat. That's true. I mean, it's not going to hurt Chase Young if Montez Sweat has a big year as well. It's only going to help him. That's right. Now, But the problem is they don't have any linebackers either, and that doesn't help. All right. Uh, yeah. There's there's you know some pressure on on Chase Young for sure. There's more pressure on Ron Rivera than anybody else. Um, and some of the reason that there's a lot of pressure on Ron Rivera is he's all in on Carson Wentz. Uh, the number of passing yards for Carson Wentz on the over under market um, is surprisingly, if not shockingly, low. Uh, we'll finish up the show with that next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. So um, I saw this. Pete Haley from NBC Sports Washington uh, tweeted this out, that Carson Wentz's uh, passing yards for the upcoming season on the prop bet market uh, via points bet USA was 3,599.5 yards. For those that don't understand... Uh, if you bet over and he throws for 3,600 yards or more, you win the bet. Uh, if he throws under um, that, you lose the bet. Uh, there's a number, and you either pick over 3,599 and a half yards or under. And at the end of the season, what does he have? And that you know, determines whether or not you won the bet. Um, I did a little bit more uh, uh, investigating to see where that kind of ranked among the quarterbacks in the NFL. 
uh, on DraftKings, which they have this prop bet up. So does FanDuel. Um, so does BetMGM. My bookie has so many prop bets, but I uh, was not able to find the over-under on quarterback yards for the season. But still, my bookie's got so many more of these numbers. Uh, go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC, and they'll double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. Anyway, on DraftKings, Tommy, the, they, have, uh, they have Carson Wentz's over-under total at 3550 and a half yards, 26th in the NFL. It's 26th in the NFL on quarterback yardage. Haven't we heard Carson Wentz, you know, great system, all these weapons, look out for Washington. Uh, The quarterbacks that are in front of him, Davis Mills playing for what is right now pretty much universally thought to be the worst team in the NFL going into, into 2022, the Houston Texans. Baker Mayfield, who just got traded to Carolina, uh, his over-under is 3,800 yards. He's several spots in front of Carson Wentz. Daniel Jones is several spots in front of Carson Wentz. Jared Goff, Mac Jones, uh, Tua, uh, you know, the, the, the list, by the way, if you're wondering who's got the highest over-under number on passing yards, Justin Herbert, followed by Brady, followed by Mahomes, and then Stafford, Carr, Burrow, Prescott, Allen, and Cousins. All right, those are the top ten. I think I just ripped off top ten. Uh, no, then Russell Wilson. Aaron Rodgers actually is outside the top ten, just barely. Um, but he lost, you know, he lost his number one wide receiver. Um, yeah. That's your top yeah. ten in passing yards for the season. Carson Wentz is at 35.50 per DraftKings, 26th in the league. So the reason I'm bringing this up is, first of all, most of you know how I feel. We don't know it nearly as much as the odds makers know. You know, a couple of weeks ago I told you that Washington along with Detroit, um, ha- have th- those two teams have seen the most action on the over win total Washington's has been at like seven and a half or eight, and there's a lot of betting action on Washington over the total in terms of games. But the odds makers, you know, aren't throwing these numbers out there because they want to they want to be taken to the cleaners by easy over bet wins. Like 3550, they're not putting it out there because they think Carson Wentz is going to throw for 4,000 yards and they're going to have to pay everybody off. That's what they think the number should be. And by the way, it's incenting a lot of overaction, I guarantee you. I don't know if it's over or under. I wouldn't bet the over. I can tell you that. That number's too low, and he's ranked too low among the quarterbacks to get me to get suckered into that thing. But what the, the number really reflects two things. One, the injury potential with Wentz and the fact that he may not play all 17 games. Why? Because he rarely has. You know, second year in the league, he missed, you know, got injured in week 13, only played 13 games. Third year in the league, only played 11 games. Uh, Fifth year in the league, only played 12 games. So there is a high injury potential with Wentz. So that's one of the reasons the number is where it is. He also last year in Indianapolis threw for 3,563 yards starting all 17 games. You know, I've, I've mentioned this before. Jonathan Taylor carried that team into playoff contention, not Carson Wentz. He averaged 209.6 yards passing per game last year, the lowest of his career. 
So that's why the number is where it is. Um, Secondly, let me just mention this. Every single prop bet for the upcoming season really reflects that the odds makers do not believe in Washington this year. Let me give you a couple of them. In the division, Dallas is the favorite at plus 120. Philly is the second favorite at plus 190. Uh, This is at my bookie. Washington's plus 500. Okay, that's that's a big disparity. No regard for Washington's chances to win the division. Their over-under number, 7.5, is 10th best in the NFC. Okay, there are six teams worse, but it's not playoff material. How about this one, Tommy? This one is really interesting to me. The odds on coach of the year in the NFL – you know, the coach of the year odds, to, you know, the coach of the year usually goes to the coach who coached the team that wasn't very good the year before, that overachieved, and they won, you know, 12 games, won the division, and they ended up being in the playoffs. That's usually who wins coach of the year. Not the Bill Belichicks of the world, not the Sean McVays this year as the defending Super Bowl champion. Like, Sean McVays got zero chance to win coach of the year unless they go undefeated. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? Yes. And, and, yes. you, and, and that's, I mean, people, yeah. people generally do not like to reward coaches for coaching very talented teams. Right. So Ron Rivera coached a 7-10 and 10 team last year. Didn't make the playoffs. And so maybe Ron Rivera is going to be way up there on the coach of the year odds. Nope. 26th out of the 32 coaches wow. in odds wow. to win coach of the year. I, I'm 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 bringing a comeback player of the year. By the way, on the coach of the year, the, I think I mentioned this maybe yesterday or the day before. The, they're two, they're co favorites um, at plus fourteen hundred. Uh, Dan Campbell, the, the head coach of the Detroit Lions. A lot of people like Detroit to be very improved this year. And Brian Dable, the head coach of the New York Football Giants. You don't make Brian Dable, the head coach of the New York Giants, the favorite or co-favorite to win coach of the year if you're an odds maker, unless you think they're going to win nine-plus games and be in the playoffs. Yeah. And I've said this before. I don't think – I think there's a chance the Giants could be a big turnaround story, just like I think Washington – there's a chance Washington could be. But Brian Dable's a co-favorite for coach of the year, and Ron Rivera's pick number 26 out of 32 (laughs) coaches. And then the Comeback Player of the Year award, which Chase Young is eligible for, he's 10th. Daniel Jones is much higher than he is. So all of that is just a way of saying, while people are excited, I know a lot of people who are, and think they're going to be better and think they've got a much better quarterback and think they should be much better offensively and think they can't be any worse defensively, you know, than the disappointing year of last year, and they've got this super weak schedule. Um, Betters might think that. The public may think that. The odds makers do not think that. The odds makers do not think much of Washington this year. That's the bottom line. All of this leads to that. Let me give you a number. 3,419 yards, 15 starts in 16 games. Taylor Heineke. He didn't have Jonathan. He didn't have Jonathan Taylor in the backfield with him last year either. Yeah, Taylor Heineke. Yes. Yeah, Taylor Heineke. Okay. Well, uh, you know, 
I wouldn't bet the over. There's no way you, there's the, most of you know, that's not the way I bet. I don't jump on the things that look obvious. I go the other way on the things that look obvious. I'm like, yeah, there's a reason it's obvious. And I guarantee you there are a lot of, you know, first-time gamblers with all the legalized sports bet uh, betting opportunities that are like, huh, 35-50 for Carson Wentz? He's got Terry McLaurin and John, John Dotson and Curtis Samuel. And they've got, a, you know, Gibson in the backfield and McKissick. I mean, no way. I, if he plays 15 games, he's going to throw for 4,000 yards. Yeah, be careful on that one. By the way, let me also point out, he doesn't have to throw over 3,550 yards for them to be a good team. I mean, he threw 3,563 yards last year, and they had a big-time running game, and Scott Turner has proven that he'll stick with the run if they do it. I mean, they won four games running the football, you know, in late November and into early December. So he doesn't have to throw for, you know, a, a, a large a number over that number for them to be a competitive team. But the odds makers are telling you with all of these preseason prop bets that they're not that bullish or optimistic about Washington this year. Betters feel differently, though, I think. All right, you got anything else? I got nothing else for you, boss. All right, then. Uh, We're done for the day. I'll be back tomorrow.